Fantastic. Apostle Maldonado is going to be absolutely off the chart. And uh, so one of the things that we're going to need is we're going to need people to help um, just in the logistics of that. And uh, it's just going to be a great event to be a part of and help build. So uh, if you want to be a part of, of investing into this, we need you to help. So there'll be a table at the back there by the Ask Me desk. Please just go and have a look. We need uh, people to serve in all sorts of parts. But we're also uh, going to have people from other churches be involved in helping as well because can be a blessing to the bay and other pastors have already expressed that they want to help support logistically and so if you've got it in your heart love to come and see us down the back there It'd be fantastic also tomorrow night's agm will be another important one uh we're going to have a, another option in front of us again right now so uh, as well as presenting the agm uh, uh, how the church has gone over the last year uh, going to be looking at another opportunity as well so uh, come along we just want to have a chat about that and it's going to be fantastic. Fantastic. Hey, just, um, if you're here and you are the parent of a primary school age child, then this notice is for you. Your children today will come and they'll bring you a notice that's really important you read it. Um, and 
fathers here. We are providing um, care for primary school age children at the night meetings. This is Saturday night and Sunday night. Now, this, do, this does come with some boundaries and some guidelines. And so you must read the information so there'll no longer be somebody at the back looking after children. Okay, so if you have children that's outside of those age groups, you'll need to work that out and work out what you're going to do. But um, we've got a, a team of people that are going to um, open up the kids' church. It will not be a kids' program. They won't be running around in games. So it's going to be a quiet movie. And, um, and we look forward to you bringing your kids, signing them in, so they won't be able to come unless you've signed them in. And you won't be able to get them back either. You may not want them back. You may not be able to get them back if you don't sign them out. But... Um, but there are, so please read the guidelines and pass them on to other people. So people from other places, but also welcome if your children are five years old or year one to six, we're going to open that up. We want to empower you as parents to be able to come to the meetings and get all you can get from the Lord. Fantastic. And uh, just a shout out to Tahi, talking on the theme of empowerment. Tahi got a bunch of guys out here yesterday morning. So every Saturday morning, uh, he's going to empower you physically. Come and learn and find out. So come and see Tahi if, uh, if you want to get freshly empowered in your physical body. And uh, another, just a great thing, uh, where's Lynette? Lynette's pro produced another book. Where are you, Lynette? Come right in front of me. Come up here. How about that? How many books is this now? Four. Fantastic. What are you coming up? Good on you. She's clapping. She needs a book. She's clapping as well. Do you want to just tell us quickly about your book? Um, this is, um, thanks David for asking me up. This is my fourth book, Encounter um, Nuggets of Gold. And it's aimed for children nine plus. The reason we did that so it could get into schools and libraries. Um, but it's actually for all ages. I had a neighbour, she's not a Christian. She read it to a five-year-old son and sent me the most amazing card. And um, so I'm really, um, whoops, I better eat this thing. <laughs> um, it's full of illustrations, and it's going to be at the back there later. Um, it's $20 a book, same as each other book. Um, but I, I'm, it's made up with eight stories, and it's introducing the true storyteller. And it's all about him, Jesus, but it's he's the true storyteller in this book. And he's the one who introduces you to the next seven stories as the carpenter, the beekeeper, the potter, the power source, the um, orchardist, the farmer, and the fisherman father. And it gives glory to him. It's, it's not about me. I'm, I'm just enjoying putting them together. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. David talked in the Psalms. He said, I will talk of your, tell the stories of your faithfulness from one generation to another. And um, so it's just great to see God's faithfulness in your life and, and just the faithfulness of God and so many families here today. And uh, good on you, well done. Are you ready to give this morning? I want to just close our eyes and bow heads this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your, your goodness to us. We thank you, Lord, that you are, you are our great shepherd, that you lead us, that you guide us. Lord, that you lead us beside still waters that you provide for us. Heavenly Father, today, Lord, as we come to bring you our offerings, we bring you our tithes and our gifts, financial gifts this morning. Lord, we say thank you so much. We, we put our hope again and we put our trust afresh in you that you would provide for us today. 
thank you for the opportunities that you present to us and the opportunities that you'll present to us in the future. Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you for the gift of your peace. We thank you for the gift of your provision. So Father, now we just offer this offering to you and we say thank you so much. We bless your wonderful name this morning. Let's just stand and worship this morning as we give and uh, Pastor Mark will come up soon and, and bring the words. Come on, stand. Let's, uh, let's worship him one more time. What a wonderful name it is. you to open your Bible with me in uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 7 to 10. I want to pick up a theme that I have been sharing with you. Uh, this is something that God has been really speaking into my own heart, and so I've been learning, and I, I, I went through an experience just about a week or so ago, and I felt, oh God, I just know nothing. This is horrendous. Lord, this, I'm starting to see a whole new dimension of the uh, story of salvation through the Bible in a way I'd never seen before. And uh, I want to open up some of those aspects to you. But uh, today I want to share, uh, I, uh, last time I spoke, I was speaking on uh, honor and shame and how Jesus took our shame. And uh, this time I want to share with you and speak with you a message called Seeking Honor from God. Seeking Honor from God. It was a scripture the Lord gave me uh, about two weeks ago and I just didn't feel to put it in the message. And as I've spent time thinking about it, then God has opened up a lot for me on it. And, uh, and I believe you'll be challenged. Uh, challenged in how you're doing life. Challenged in the way you think about your life and about 
uh, eternity. So we're going to read in Genesis. So let me just open with a couple of thoughts. The Bible tells us in Psalm 104 verse 1 that God is clothed with honor and clothed with majesty. So if you could see him, the Bible says he dwells in immortal life. Such glory, it would overwhelm us if we saw it. And uh, often what happens is we reduce God and our imagination down to something manageable, something that fits in a box that we feel safe with. But our God, the Bible says, is clothed with glory, clothed with honor, clothed with regal majesty. Have you ever been and so, or seen, uh, you know, when there's a coronation takes place of the, of the queen many years ago? Just, it was filled with majesty. Everything about it was majestic. You can't help but feel some awe when you're in uh, such a place. But how much more is our God clothed with glory and majesty? And the Bible tells us, you are made in His image. If, you, if the God who made us is full of majesty and glory and we're made in His image, we're made for honor. We're made for glory. You're made to be something. You're made to be something amazing. You see, I can see there's a flatness, see? A lot of people don't believe that. See, a lot of us, a lot of us because of our experience in life, don't see who we are. So if you don't see who God made you to be and is now positioned to be, you live out of the old and you won't come into and step into the glory that he has for us. In Psalm 8, for example, verse 5 and 6, it says, what is man that you think about him, that you're mindful of him? Well, the son of man that you visit him, he said, for you have crowned him with glory and honor and made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You were designed by God to carry his glory. You were designed by God to be a person of honor, a person of great honor, a person of influence and substance, a person who is called to represent God in the earth, to carry the weight of his presence and authority and make the earth a better place. That's what we were designed for, a relationship with a God full of glory. And so to represent him, we need to be men and women of honor. If you want to represent God, you must carry yourself with honor. For that to happen, we need honor restored to us because we read tragically in the Garden of Eden, we find how Adam and Eve lost the honor and lost the glory. We read in verse 7, after Adam and Eve decided, now there's many ways you can look at it. God gave them a boundary. They broke the boundary, broke the law. But because God had blessed them with such honor, his expectation was they would honor him and be appreciative. Instead, they were disloyal. And so the Bible tells us they lost their honor. That's what it says in verse 7. It says, The eyes of them both were opened, and they knew they were naked. See, before they were naked, but such a glory of God was on them. They were totally no shame. They were transparent. They had such an amazing life. And yet here, after they sinned, the eyes of them both were opened. They knew they were naked, and they did something. They sewed leaves, fig leaves together, and made coverings for themselves. Such was the effect of the fall, relationally, that a deep shame came around people. When God came, 
because I was naked and I hid. And so I, I won't develop it today, but there are three emotions which men experience that God never intended us to experience. The first one is guilt. The knowing inside, I have done something wrong, I have violated a law. Guilt is a major driver of people. Secondly, shame. Instead of being a person of honor, now they carried a deep shame. The message of shame is not I've done something wrong. The message of shame is there's something wrong with me. And shame causes us not only to want to hide ourselves because of the fear, but it also causes us to be covered and disconnected socially. And then finally, fear, tremendous fear. Uh, I'll develop this another time when I share with you what the message of the gospel is. But essentially, as we'll see, there's been a search from the beginning of Genesis from that point for people to cover the shame and regain the honor. And I want to talk about that because you and I are committed to do that. In various ways, we will try to conceal our shame and try to find honor. And uh, that's, that's true of all people and, and, and particularly all cultures. So I want to look at how people go about seeking honor and what God has to say about that method. There's nothing wrong for you to seek honor. It's how you go about it is the key issue. There is a way of finding honor that God will put on you that no one else can take away, and it's an honor that God reserves for you as he observes the way you conduct yourself. I'm going to share with you some aspects of that in a moment. In Genesis chapter 11 and verse 4, Genesis 11 verse 4, uh, the people of Babel, the Bible tells us there, they said, let us build, lest we be scattered, let us build a great tower so we can make a name for ourselves. To make a name for yourself is to become well known. That has to do with honor. I want people to know me. I want to have a reputation. I want to carry weight in the community. I want my name to be known. And so what they're saying is, uh, we want to build something really great. And in our building something really great, we will be well known. And we will be famous, which is what we want. We want something that we've lost. And so they built the Tower of Babel, and you know the story, God came to scatter them. The problem was, in their heart was a deep sense that there's something missing, and we need to do something about it. So essentially, when you look at the cultures in the world, we live in a Western culture. So our Western culture is dominated by guilt and the search for innocence. I, want, I don't want to break the law. I don't want to be found guilty of anything. But cultures in the East where we go very frequently, the key driver of the culture is shame and the search not to lose face but to gain face. And then in other cultures in the world, you find fears that drive people are afraid of the spirit world and so they are driven to find power in some way. And as I'll share with you at another time, the gospel addresses every culture in the world. Every culture in the world God has a message to restore them, but each culture needs a different response. And of course, the West now is changing because people have come from other cultures, and as believers, we need to understand the full message of the gospel of Jesus Christ so we can share it. And uh, I just feel challenged to put a message together on that. But let's have a look at how do people seek honor? 
The word honor means value, worth. And of course, it's uh, not just something inherently you have inside you, it's something you want recognized by people. It's no use having a lot of honor if there's no one to recognize that. So honor, as well as shame, has to do very much of the value that is placed upon us relationally in a community. So someone who is of great honor in the community carries weight, their voice carries weight. You'd also know of someone who's uh, caused a disgrace in their names in the paper and brought shame not only to them but to their family. And so I can remember being not to mix with that boy, that family's no good. So in other words, there was a shame sitting upon the whole family. And uh, that's happened to the human family, is there's a shame we somehow sense that, the, that, that we're defiled. So people try to overcome it, except they don't do it God's way. So what are some of the ways that, and you recognize these, because you've tried them. Or you know someone who tried them. Or you probably know someone who's trying them pretty well right now or recently. Yeah. So self-promotion. So we try to promote ourselves. We do everything ourselves. We talk about ourselves. We try to dress ourselves up. In fact, Facebook is full of self-promotion. Selfie. It, it only doesn't really recognize, it doesn't represent what the life is really like. It's just a, a spot that highlights self. And it's great to do it, sure. But unfortunately, people f- seek to find their identity through that. And of course, self-promotion. The other thing is competition. We compete with others. And, and this is very true in the culture of Jesus' day. Honor came uh, by competition. They, they believed there wasn't enough honor to go around. So if there's not enough to honor to go around, like there's not enough money to go around, then I have to compete for it. I've got to do something to get the honor off you and get it onto me. So in Jesus' day, and I'll touch on this and, and talk a little bit more about this another time. In Jesus' day, the Pharisees, as we'll see in a moment, they, they competed with one another for honor. And they, pay, they played games in public. And what would happen is someone would do something and they'd be challenged. And the moment they were challenged, they had to come up with a reply, and the public decided who was the winner, who carried the honor out of that engagement, who lost honor and lost face. And that's what they did all the time. So when you read of Jesus' encounters with the religious leaders, they were all honor encounters. They, didn't, they weren't interested in information. They were wanting to ask him questions too difficult to answer. And, and the more I've seen, the more brilliant he is in how he responds. He had a brilliant mind. He was deeply versed in Scripture, as well as knowing the heart of God. The spirit of wisdom was on him. He had an answer for every situation. So competition. So we find people compete. People uh, try to gain honor by getting money. If I just get enough money, then I'll be something. And it's all about being someone, being recognized. You're not enough to have money if people don't know you've got money. Okay? And, and so money or, or possessions like cars or vehicles, people get it and they want to show it off. They want to show it off because why? They want people to admire them and say, ooh, and see, they're getting honor. And so this comes into all sorts of aspects of life. That's why people boast. And they don't, I did this and I did this. And then, what are they doing? They're longing for honor. There's a deep brokenness inside and are searching to get what they're looking for from people. People can't give you enough of it to satisfy you. And when you just think you've got it, then it's taken away from you. That's the problem. And so people try to extract it. They try to get it from position. For some people, having a position causes them to feel honored. In other words, they're drawing their honor from the position. Now, let me tell you something. If, if the position is what gives you honor, the lo- 
boss of it will disgrace you. And if physicians will give you honor, you'll use your position to get more honor. You'll use people to get more honor. That's why when you come into the church, you've got to abandon the worldly ways of getting honor. There is another way which we need to embrace. Get the idea? So position, power, uh, power, having power to be able to uh, make decisions and control how things work, that is one way that people seek to find honor. So in some cultures then, if you're the witch doctor or sorcerer, you are the most honored and feared person in the community. But you bring this into the church and now people want to have power ministry so that people will admire them and honor them. See, the motivation is wrong. Something at the core is looking in the wrong place for the honor. Uh, education, people will uh, suddenly tell you all the degrees they got, tell you all that. You've ever been with someone who's a smarty pants? What are they doing? They're looking for honor. They want you to be impressed with their education. We're to be impressed with the people who love us. You can be a smarty pants and know as much as you like, but if your knowledge puffs you up, uh, love is what builds up. So there's all these kind of things that people use. People use good works, people use spirituality. And now, now, of course, this is, gets nearer to home because in the church, people want to appear spiritual. Why? It's true. So therefore, God told me this, God told me that, God told me that, God's talking to me. Now, God talks to us, but not like that. And so often that has inside it this thing of trying to persuade you I am really spiritual. So you will do what? Isn't he spiritual? Get the idea? It's a pull for honor. It's self-promotion. And of course we promote ourselves. You've got to sustain it by having more and more things. People can... Uh, their children are their source of honor. Let me tell you this, that's a bad place to have your source of honor. Because that's your source of honor, it could also be your source of shame. And just when you think you're doing really well, they do something so dumb. If you're a mum and try to protect and cover and cover up, because your whole identity is caught in this thing. So that's, it's a real challenge for women, of course. If your identity is caught in your child, you're in trouble. Because they've got to control them and you can't actually train them for God. You've got to control them so you'll look good. Whereas really we train them so God looks good in their life. Yeah. You know, oh, you all got quiet about this. So <laughs> people, people use sports to get honor. They use competition in sports. Uh, in many cultures, war is the way people get honor. So the big deal is how many people did you kill? How, how, what battles did you fight? All those kind of things. Uh, another way that people get uh, honor is by titles. I want a title. Once I've got my title, now you must all use the title. Because I need the honor. I need to use you to acknowledge the title so I will feel honor. Can you understand this, what it's all about? Oh, you, now you can find that in so many different places, can't you? Privileges, none of you want perks. For them, perks is the thing about if I've got some perks or privileges, that's the way I'm honored because I've been here a long time, you know. I should should have something. <laughs> been in this church a long time. I should I've, I, mean, I, I should be recognized by now. Oh really, should you? <laughs> that's why you're not. Because <laughs> that's what you need. And you use people to get it. And that's not the way of the kingdom. Not the way the kingdom of God. Another way that people try to get honor is by being critical of others. It works like this. If I can put you down, yes, he looks good. 
See? That's why people criticize and gossip. Because if you can gossip and tear someone else's reputation to pieces, murdering their reputation, I would never do that. See, there's that self-righteousness and pride. Get the idea? Well, you, there's, there's so many ways. So let's just uh, talk about what Jesus had to say about that. Uh, Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. Jesus had a number of things to say. In fact, as I start to realize that Jesus came, uh, partly why he came was to confront the whole false honor, false shame system in the culture. He, he challenged it. And that's why he was killed in the end. They stopped trying to argue with him because he always won. So they, the best thing we can do is kill him. And that's why they sometimes do that over in the Middle East right now. If you do something, you dishonest them, they want to kill you. If you think how Jesus started his ministry, they, he starts off and he's all wonderful. You know, he preaches, oh, lovely message. Oh, he speaks so nicely. So anointed, wonderful. But wait a minute. Where, where did he come from? Oh, he comes from, what's this? Nazareth or something. It's not a small town. There's no good there. And who's well, there's a bit of question about his his mother. She got pregnant out of marriage, and, and we know Joseph the father and other brothers. Now what they're basically doing is putting him down. So he then says, "Well, honor is not the way you think it is. This is how God deals with people." He said, "In the day you think you're so important, you're the children of Abraham, but in the days of Elijah the prophet, well, there was someone who wasn't a Hebrew who was healed." leprosy and there was a widow who wasn't a Hebrew either and she was dramatically provided for so basically what he's done they've challenged him and he slapped them back so what can they do well the only one thing to do kill him so they rose up and killed tried to kill him now you start to get sense when you see what's going on that there's this in in the society that Jesus lived in there was this constant quest for honor and recognition and accolades it was like the whole society was corrupted with it so the religious system was riddled with it as it is today. And so notice, in, uh, let me read some verses in Matthew 23, verse 6 to 8. Matthew 23, he said, hey, uh, he said, uh, oh, we'll pick it up a little bit here, about 6. It said, uh, verse 5, all their works they do to be seen of men. See? See, in other words, these religious leaders, they do everything in front of people. They never do anything privately, they do it in front of people. Why? They want something. I want you to, whoa, isn't that important? Uh, and said, and they make their phylacteries, that's a border, broad, and large the borders of their garments. Why? They want to be noticed, to be holy. And, uh, and it says there, they love the best places at the feasts. Look at that. And they love the best seats in the synagogues. They want to be greeted in the marketplace, and they want to be called by their title. But you don't be called by those titles. So you see, Jesus is confronting that they wanted the best places, they want to look good, they want to be on, they want to be recognized. And he said, this is not to be so among you. That's not how the kingdom operates. Here's another one, Matthew 6, verse 2 to 4. He says, uh, he, he talks about in uh, what they do in terms of their giving. And he said, well, he said they give, but all their works or their giving they do to be seen of men. They pray to be seen of men. They fast to be seen of men. And he said, he said well, and he said, therefore, they've had their reward. What was their reward? Well, everyone said, whoa, it's a holy person. Wow, we could never be like that. And they got their reward. He said, rather, when you pray, when you fast, when you give, do it in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now, notice here, uh, the word reward also carries with it honor. So there's an honor God will give if you do things his way. There's an honor that doesn't come from God if you don't do it his way. So we can choose the temporary honor of people or the permanent, lasting honor and valued honor of God. And that's true for all of us. All of us in our life are going to pursue a course 
that will seek to be honoured and valued and thought were smart people by men or to be a course to be honoured by God. If you seek a course of life to be honoured by God, it will bring you into conflict with the culture. Because the culture values things that God does not value. And God values things that the culture doesn't value. So when we determine we're going to be a follower of Christ, one thing it will do, it will put us in conflict with culture. And that means you're not into the message of tolerating everything. You're into living differently so we become men and women of honor before God. I'll, I'll show you some practical ways that it happens. Let's just keep pulling apart the false honor system. Uh, I want you to see in John chapter 12, John 12, verse 42 to 43. John 12, verse 42 to 43. You find them all there. They start to just leap out of me. It said, uh, verse 42, Nevertheless, among many the rulers believed in Jesus, but because of the Pharisees did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Now notice a problem that began to grow when Jesus was ministering. People believed in him. However, following Jesus, there came a shame with it. Because the way that they got everyone to conform was they would put public pressure. So anyone who didn't toe the line was put to public shame. And in this case, they put him out of the synagogue, which meant, now the synagogue was the central place of the community. It was the gathering place of the community. All your business connections were there. The people that you met that formed your life were all there. So to be put out of it socially put you back in a major way. So you understand now, that the Pharisees, who were jealous of Jesus and jealous of his honor, jealous of his following, they anyone who became a Christian or follower of Jesus, they put them out of the synagogue. So here's many people, because they preferred the honor of men, refused to follow Jesus openly and faced the shame of following him. So there is a shame, which is due to people sinning against us. There is a shame that comes about because of things we've done, but there's another shame that comes, and it's not a real shame at all. It's a false shame. It's one that's put upon you when you determine to follow Jesus. There's a ridicule. There's a contrary thing comes against you. You're the only one. You do stuff differently. You're weird. So weird is a way of socially rejecting you so you'll conform because you don't want to be weird. I won't be long. I won't be long. That kind of stuff, yeah? See? And so Jesus said, if that's what's driving you, then you will seek to please men rather than please God. Oh, get all quiet now, isn't it? Eh? Well, we just, we're still pushing apart the false honor system. And uh, as soon as you try to push it apart, let's have a look at John chapter 5. John chapter 5. And in John chapter 5, you find Jesus speaks on it really, really clear. He says uh, in John chapter 5, and we pick it up at round about verse 41. And uh, verse 41 to 44, he said, I do not receive the honor of men. In other words, he says, I don't care what people think. My life is not motivated by getting people to like me or approve of me. That's what he's saying. I do not seek it. For some people, they seek that. They want people to like them. Young people, this is where the greatest pressure comes in your teen years when you're vulnerable, start to step up and start to stand out uh, as an, uh, a move into the adult world, you need people around you who bring a strong pressure to be a godly person rather than people who pressure you to be like the crowd. And so Jesus said, uh, he said, uh, I don't receive honor from men. 
He said, I know you, you don't have the love of God, and you have come on my Father's name, and you don't receive me, and other comes in his own, own name, you'll receive him. See, there's that false honor again. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes only from God? Now, you notice Jesus' response to the false honor system. Basically, he says, I don't buy into it. I don't buy into it. Not in any way whatsoever. And he says, not only that, if you buy into pleasing people, then your faith will be eroded. How can you believe who are seeking to please people? How can you lean on God and trust his faithfulness if you're trying to please people and keep them happy? Any idea? He's saying, how can you, how can you lean into God? How can you receive the honor only God gives if you're trying to please people all the time? He said, it's impossible. It will erode your faith. And so the battle people have is really a battle of faith. Can I trust God to establish honor in my life? Or do I seek to get it from the world by their recognition of me in some way? That's what it comes down to. And that was what Jesus challenged them all about. And so when they tried every way to put him down and couldn't, the only thing left is to kill him, have an honor killing. So here's some things about Jesus' response to the false honor system. Number one, he refused to yield to it. He just wouldn't buy into it at all. He said he, did, he didn't receive it. That doesn't mean to say that he didn't allow people to honor him. He did allow people to honor him. He's talking about the false honor system, which will flatter you in order to get something. He didn't buy into that at all. And uh, so the second thing is, uh, he said, he taught that the false honor system will hinder your walk with God. If you buy into seeking to please people, make them happy, make them like you, you'll end up compromising your walk with God. Thirdly, he introduced a new honor system. Now this is the bit I haven't got time to develop. I just want to talk to you about how to gain the honor of God. Spend the rest of my time on that. But he introduced a new honor system. So not only did he attack the existing one, he brought in a new one. He brought in one called the kingdom of God. And it operates differently. So, for example, in Luke chapter 15, verse 1 and 2, it said, Then came all the tax collectors and sinners, and he received them and ate with them, and the Pharisees complained. Now, why did they complain? Because their system was that if you weren't right with God, if you had things wrong in your life, you had to get them right before you could be accepted. And for them, eating a meal together meant putting honor on someone. It was one of the main ways you honored people. You invited them for a meal. So Jesus used one of the honor things in the culture, having a meal with someone, to establish there's a new honor system. And here it is. If you're broken, if you're rejected, if you're despised, if you fail, if you're carrying shame, if you're carrying pain, nevertheless, Jesus welcomes you and will eat with you and welcome you to eat with him. And in showing you kindness, your heart will want to change. That's why you notice that Zacchaeus got converted without prayer sinner's prayer. How did he get converted? It's really simple. He recognized when Jesus said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your place for a meal. Now we would look and say, man, that's rude. That's just plum rude. Just inviting himself for a meal and a complete stranger. What is that? But if you understand the culture that, that a meal is the place of honor, and for someone of Jesus' stature to come for a meal with him, put honor on the lowest person in the community. 
Jesus constantly did that, put honor on the lowest person. It's like he loved to find the lowest one. That's the one I'll honor. Why did he do that? It's like he provoked something. He was provoking a reaction. Many times he did things to provoke and expose the false honor system. So what does he do? The whole town's out to meet him, and they're all full of some good people, no doubt, and religious people, no doubt. And here's this guy, the tax collector, the most hated guy in town, up a tree. He, I think I'll have lunch with him. Everyone's shocked. What are they shocked? How come him? He doesn't deserve it. See? Then Jesus goes into the synagogue where there's a woman there, and she's humpy back. She's defiled. She's broken. She's tormented by a demonic spirit. Her, her life is wrecked. She's totally disabled. And who out of all of the people in that fine, upstanding community of people worshiping God did Jesus choose to reach out to? That's the woman. So if you start to look again, you will find everywhere Jesus broke the code of honor of the culture and said there's another code of honor called the kingdom where God loves people and gives them something they don't deserve. Why? Because, and I'll, I'll explain it in a moment, you see, it's just, oh, you think, oh, my God, you're just amazing. See, see here's a thing in, in the culture of the Middle East, that the family has a family name, and the family name could be an honorable name or a dishonorable name. And so if the family's very rich, very wealthy, very influential, it's got an honorable name. And they help everyone else. That's what they do. If you're really honorable and wealthy, you help people. It's called patronage. And in turn, they respond by giving you loyalty and gratitude. And they're there for you when you need their services. Okay? Okay. Now, so that's what I like in the culture. Now, the head of the family is responsible for the honor of the family. So, in other words, he upholds the honor of the family. And in the family, no one competes with one another for honor because the honor of the father is on the whole family. And so instead, what they do is they work to expand the family honor. Because if someone expands the family honor, everyone is going to get blessed out of this. But out in the public, they will compete with one another. So bearing in mind then that the family father then has to preserve the family honor. Now, have a look at what God did. Adam, the son of God, dishonored the family. Adam dishonored his father. Adam, Adam brought shame in the spirit world to his father. So what does his father do? His father commits to restoring honor. So that's one of the reasons Jesus came, was to uphold the father's name and reputation and restore his honor. Okay, think about it. The prodigal son, when they came back, who did they celebrate? Oh, we're still going to celebrate the son. No, 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 no. The son didn't do anything good. They celebrated the father's sacrifice to restore the son. They celebrated the father's honor restored because the father had lost honor when the son ran away. The, the, the father was shamed by the actions of the son, but the father committed himself to restore the son, to give honor back where honor had been lost. So if you think about this, God is committed to restore honor to you that was lost, either by what someone did to you or by various things. So Jesus brings in a new honor system. And he totally rejects the old honor system in Matthew 28 
and verse 25 to 28, he says, in the honor system of the culture and the world, those that are great lord it over and rule over others. In other words, it's a hierarchical system where there's positions and ranks and they boss the people under them. He said, it shall not be so among you. The kingdom of God is not a hierarchical system. The kingdom of God is a collaborative system. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, then you must serve. And then the second thing he said is that if you want to be the greatest, nothing wrong with wanting to be the greatest, but then increase your serving till you serve everyone. Even like I have come as a servant to serve. Now that brings in something that's hard for us to get hold of. When God wanted to come to the earth to bring salvation, if you and I were doing the plan, here's the plan, Jesus. We've got horses, we've got chariots, we've got angels, and we have got spears and swords, and you will come with a mighty army slashing and hacking and destroying everything that rebels against you. You would put on a show of miracles so great no one could deny. See, we'd have our plan. But see, God didn't follow that plan. See, he came as a servant. Now that raises a big issue for us. If God comes into the world as a servant, serving is the core value of the kingdom of God. And so serving's not something you do to get promoted. Serving is who you are to get honored. The greater the serving, the greater the honor. I'll show you that in just a moment because you see it works out exactly in Jesus' life. And you see he gave up everything of honor, stripped himself of every honor, and then came into the earth. I'm getting a little bit ahead now. So if I seek to please people and try to gain recognition from them, I will find myself in conflict with God's honor system. In Galatians 1.10 it says, if I seek to please men, how can I be the servant of Christ? Big issue. So we begin to start to see that. And I, I go around churches and I see lots of that. And I see a lot of people standing tall and proud and wanting to be seen to be tall and proud. That is not the kingdom. It hurts people. It uses people to elevate someone's glory and honor instead of looking to God to do that for us. Okay? <laughs> if you're a person who's full of the honor of God, you can serve anyone. If you're lacking honor, you can't serve anyone. You need to get some honor. So you use everyone to get what you need. Okay, let's just move now how to receive the honor of God. So we find through the Bible that God promises in the book of Genesis honor to come back again. He promises redemption. Then we find in Genesis chapter 12, he chooses out Abraham. And notice what he says to Abraham. He said, I will make your name great. That's honor. I will honor you. Now, why did he honor him? Because if you will follow me and obey me and walk with me, I'll honor you. And I'll not only honor you, I'll honor your family. Now, to a Middle Eastern person, what? that doesn't get any better than that. Make my name famous, make me multiply, make my seed throughout the earth, and everyone honor me, and all those who are against me, they get, they get cursed. Man, that is honor. And so he would have understood God is offering him great honor if he will lay down his life and faithfully walk with God and obey him. He's the father of our faith. Great honor lies ahead uh, in 1 Samuel. It tells us, in them that honor me, I will honor. How about that? So God will honor people who honor him. Now, how do I get to it? 
how do I get to them? The Bible tells us in Romans 2, verse 7 to 9, it talks about people by good doing and persevering in good doing, seeking glory and honor and immortality. In other words, there's nothing wrong with seeking to be honored. It's just how you go about doing it. And God, get this, God checks everyone out. He sees right through us. And so he can, he, can, he can ascribe honor to us based on his evaluation of us. So there are two ways, primary ways, that honor is received from God. So here's the first one. The first one. Two ways that honor is received from God. The first one is very simple. It's called ascribed honor, or honor you don't do anything to get. It's just given to you. Now remember, in those days, that honor had to do with the family you came from. So if you were born into an important, noble family, you're really honorable. Okay? If you're born into, the, say, the queen's family, well, that makes you a prince straight away. Did you have to do anything? No, no. It's automatic. If you're the queen's son, you're a prince. Queen's daughter, you're a princess. That's how it works. Why? Because that's part of the family. Okay, then. So, so if you get adopted into that family, say they adopted you into the royal family, guess what? That makes you automatically a prince. Okay, so there is an honor that comes by being in a family. Now, this is what God does. In John 1, verse 12, to everyone who received Jesus Christ, to everyone who believed on him, what does he do? He gives you the right and authority to become a child of God, to be born into a new family. So you might say, well, my family was so bad, man, that well, you don't want to know where I come from. That's okay, because you're born into a new family, and you got a new start. Don't go looking back at that old family and finding everything that was wrong and living sorry for yourself. Resolve it. Because you're put in a new family. You're now in a new family. And it is a royal lineage that traces itself right back to heaven itself. So, you see, this is the answer. See, one of the first things God gives us to honor us, he gives us an identity. I'm a child of God. I'm a son of the living God. I'm called to rule and reign with him. I have an inheritance in heaven. I am blessed with every blessing. Well, how much more blessed can you get? The problem is we just don't believe it. See, everything comes by believing. So, so one of the first things when you get born again is to understand now and get to know who I am. Now I'm a believer. Well, people have plenty of ideas. Oh, you're Christian now. You know, and, and mock you and laugh. But no, no, no. But it doesn't really matter what they say because they don't understand anyway. They've got a false honor system. How would they understand? They can't understand. The true honor system is found in heaven. And it's found a different way by faith in Jesus Christ. If I become a follower of Jesus Christ, God honors me. One uh, John 3, 1, see what love, or in this case, what honor God has put on us that we could be called his children. That I can come and say, Daddy! See, see, you hear the message, but it's just got to get a revelation into the heart. God honors me now with his presence comes to live in me and live in you. Now, sins are forgiven. I have access to my Father. I can walk in and out of my Father's presence every day. I am restored. And if you don't do that, you then live the way you used to live, like a wretched person full of the thinking and the ways of failure of the world, the false honor system of the world. Because they say, oh, look where you are. Where'd you come from? Oh, you come from there. Oh, you've been in prison. Oh, okay. But God doesn't see it that way. Lots of prisoners in the Bible. He sees, oh, that's a new creation. That's my son. I'm not ashamed of him. Even Jesus said, you're not ashamed to call you his brother. You can come, I got an elder brother in heaven and he's something else. 
I got a father in heaven who loves me. And, oh, I just love to be in his presence. So number one is an ascribed honor, an honor that's given to you. The other is what is uh, achieved. Now that's the bit that a lot of Christians don't get because they want to stick around the ascribed honor. But you weren't called just to become a child of God. <laughs> More than that, we were called to represent him and to fulfill his assignment in the earth. So when Jesus left, his work on the cross was complete, but his work with people was not. For that, he invites us not only into his family, but to participate in his mission. Every person. Oh, I'm on a No, every person's called to participate in the mission of Jesus. When I'm running out of time, I want to just give you the six things. I'll give them quickly, and uh, then you got them. Then you can go away and meditate on them, and I'm sure the notes will be made available for you. Uh, uh, let me just pick it up in John 12. John chapter 12. This is the scripture that God, God just so opened to me. John chapter 12. Verse 26. If any man serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. Of course, I'm following someone there. Wherever he is, he'll be there also. If anyone serves me, him will my father honor. So how can I achieve or how can I gain honor from God? It's by service. First, it's given to me to make me a child of God, and now God reserves honor for me based on my service as a believer. Now, there's a lot of nominal Christians here who really need to get this. You think you can just come to church and that's it. Oh, you are so, so wrong. There is a glory and an honor God has reserved for those who faithfully serve Him. He says, notice what he says, them that serve me, them will my Father honor. So there's an honor reserved in eternity. Not all are equal in the resurrection. Not all are equal in eternity. There is an honor God has reserved. You find that in the parables Jesus taught. He teaches that as we use the talents and are productive with them, God honors us with an increase. And that's not only in this life, it's for eternity as well. So I start to look at that. So why does that so curious? It says, if any man serves me, let him follow me. I thought, why does he say that? That's so weird to say a thing like that. Then I realize, oh, what he's saying is, it's important to develop intimacy with the Lord for service. Here's why. See, if any man serve me, let him follow me. Now, the word to follow means to be on the same road, walking the same path as someone else. But actually, in the context, they understood it like this. This is a rabbi inviting someone to be his disciple and follow him. What does it mean to follow him? Now, for us, that's all lost. But what it meant to them was that meant every day you surrendered to his leadership, to his interpretation of how to apply the word of God to life. It meant you walk with him. You watched how he did life and you copied it. He was your model. Your goal was to become just like him. So that meant you listened to him. It was an interactive journey day by day where you listened to how he showed you to live life and you lived life that way. See, in the West, we just want lots of revelation for revelation's sake. But in the Bible, revelation is to change how you live. It's to change who you are. It's to change you. So, so he says, if any man serve me, see, if you serve Jesus without following him, it means you'll just work and do stuff for the same motives everyone else does. 
But if we follow him, then he challenges our motives and he causes us out of intimacy to do only the things he wants us to do, not do everything everyone else wants. That's why some people have burnouts. They're doing things they were never called to do. And it looked noble, but actually it was foolish. And it was driven by a desire for recognition. So intimacy with Jesus helps us decide how to do what we do and what to do the things we should do. It helps us get focused to our life. You have, that's why I said, if any man serve me, let him follow me. So therefore, he'll be where I am. Where, where was Jesus? Well, he walked in love. Let's be imitators of God and walk in love as Christ loved us. So that means we're going to be, have a walk where we love God and love people. That's the number one. Number one. And then my father will honor such a person. So a person who intentionally surrenders to Jesus day by day, listens to him, is intimate with him, and applies the word of God to their life, God will honor such a person. That's the promise. But I find people don't even open their Bible one week to another. Or they don't pray and build time listening to God, writing down what he's saying, hearing what Jesus is saying, how to live our life, how to be a parent, how to be a husband, how to be, listen. Get the idea? How to be a student at school. There's the first one. Second thing is, we're called to proclaim the kingdom. In uh, Matthew 10, verse 1, we're called to extend the kingdom of God to those who are dishonored. So all disciples, every follower of Jesus, is expected to carry the message of hope, the message of kingdom, to people and to minister in the power of the Spirit. That's what he did. If we're going to follow him, do the same things he did. All of us are called to do that. Let me throw you out another couple of things. Thirdly, we're called to serve the family of God. We're called to serve God's family. Now, when we think of church, we have all kinds of ideas, mostly built out of our previous experiences, rather than going to the Word and see what God says. Now, here's God's perspective. God sees every born-again believer as his family. Therefore, there's no competition for honor. Rather, Jesus redefined and said, not competition, cooperation. Honor one another. Learn to honor, highly esteem one another. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. He said, not to think more highly of yourself than you ought, but to think soberly and to honor others and the gifts they have. We're to be a corporate community that encourages one another, not competes and finds fault. As soon as it gets that fault-finding spirit, you are looking for honor at someone's expense, and you're destroying the family of God. See? We're called to be part of a family. And to be part of a family takes effort to build that. So part of my honoring God and receiving honor from God is how I treat his family. Just like if you've got a child and someone goes and slaps the child, you've got a big attitude with that person. Whether they deserved it or not is irrelevant. You've got an attitude because of the way they've dishonored your child. And many Christians struggle with lives that are not fruit-bearing because we have an attitude to other Christians rather than honoring them, honoring them, honoring them, taking time to find what they're gifted at, helping them, being encouraged in their gifts, putting strength and visiting when they need to. That's what Jesus intends. You see, to be in the family of God or to be a son, and the Bible word, the word for son is the word ben, meaning to build the family name. So are you building the family name? Are you building the family, first in your personal life? And secondly, what are you doing to build God's people? 
it's not a formal role, it's a heart for God, what's important for God. Any idea? See, as I, as I say, this stuff is really penetrating. And of course, as if we honor God's people, he honors us. He honors us. There's no one here's not important. No one. You can't say there's no one important. The Bible says our body, the greater honor is to the parts that are less, that are not visible. You can't see my heart, but I tell you, when someone wrongs my heart, I, my life went into turmoil. So you can't see it, but it's important. So there may be people who are not on a platform, but they're important. They're important to God, and they're important to us, and they're important to our future. And so we look after one another and care for one another and honor one another by showing various acts of kindness or encouragement or building. Okay, I'll give a couple more and we'll finish. Uh, a fourth one is ministering to the poor. Matthew 25, verse 34 to 40. Remember Jesus separates the, the sheep and the goats. It's the end times. And then he does that and he says, well, he said, I was thirsty and you gave me to drink. I was hungry and you fed me. I was poor and you helped me. I was in prison and uh, you came and visited me and I was naked and you clothed me. Notice what they say. Hey, where do we see you doing that? In other words, serving was so much a part of their life they never even stopped to think about it. That's what they do. They help people. And he said, come, and of course what he does, come on my right hand, the place of honor. So notice, it's talking about the coming of Christ and honor being placed on people who help the poor, show compassion to the poor. Why? Because that's the heart of our God. He reserves honor for those who help the poor. He reserves honor for those who build the church. He reserves honor for those who reach the lost. He reserves honor for those who build intimacy with him. It's, it's quiet now. I know you're thinking. It's really challenged me a lot. It's got me really thinking a lot about church and about God's plan. Here's another one. In 1 Peter 4, verse 13 to 16, uh, Another way that God honors us is when we endure hardship and suffering for Christ's sake. Now, our culture really loves pleasure. They don't want to be cut down. They don't want to do any sacrifice. Nothing hard. You know, turn up another meeting. Oh, really? Why should I come? You see, but the Bible tells us in the book of, the book of 1 Peter, the whole of the book, the people that, Jesus was, that Peter was writing to were all facing persecution for their faith. They were being rejected and shamed and imprisoned and beaten and treated shamefully. And in the midst of it, he says, if you suffer patiently and endure it with a good attitude as honoring to God, the spirit of glory rests on you. God will honor you. See? So you look in the Middle East, you see people, young people, dying rather than renounce Christ. We can hardly get up to pray. We face a different battle. Very real. I find when I look at that, I say, man, those are people God will honor because they chose death over denial of Christ. But we can deny Christ in many ways. You know, when there's, you're part, we're part of a body, that means we contribute. We're part of the family. When families have functions, family turns up. You know, in, a, in, in our family, if someone isn't there for an Easter or a Christmas or a birthday, what happened? Why were they not there? Something must be wrong. Well, they couldn't make it. So there must be something always say why. Here's another one. I'll finish with this one here. Another thing that God honors us for is our commitment to grow personally. To grow personally. 2 Peter 1 verse 5 to 11 tells that uh, we should add to our faith kindness and love and, 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 uh, and a whole number of things. It talks about adding things to our faith and it says if we do so we will 
ensure we don't fall, we'll ensure we're always productive and an abundant entrance to the kingdom of our Father. How about that? Here's the last one in John 15. Jesus said that he talks about bearing fruit. And he said, when you bear fruit, my Father is honored. So when, that means when we pray and our prayers are answered because we're built in prayer and fasting and faith in God, God is honored by our faith. In the last days, when Jesus comes again, the Bible says in Matthew 16, 27, Behold, I come to give every man, to reward every man according to his work. The book of Revelation is really about the overcomers, those who have overcome being rewarded for what they do. Church, what a challenge. First, to receive the honor and continually be grateful. Being a child of God, being in his family means you are called to build the family business, the family name, and to bring honor by your life to your father. Secondly, we're also called to grow in honor by the process of personal intimacy and transformation and service. Every believer, a servant of God. No one's more important than anyone else. We just have different roles. And we honor the roles that are different. What a challenge for all of us. What a challenge. Was to just pull down the curtain now and say it's all over, you would appear before him to give account for what you did with your life. And he's not there to be angry at you or anything like that. If you're a believer, he's there to honor you. So basically he looks and he said, Brian, what is there in your life that is deserving of honor being put on you? I have observed such great honor, but I want to know. Firstly, you're a child of mine, so there's an honor comes with that. But beyond that, there's an honor of serving me. And I want to know what you've done in serving me and how you've gone about serving me and what fruit you've borne and who's been touched by what you did. I'm going to look through it all so I can give more honor to you. And every one of us will face that question. That's a challenge for us. Not to live for people and what they think, but to live the audience of one, the God who reserves honor for those who honor him. You say amen? amen? Would you close your eyes right now? Father, we just thank you. <clears throat> we thank you for your presence. Thank you, Lord, for honoring us by coming among us, leaving heaven, coming to earth, showing kindness and mercy, teaching the ways of the kingdom, and then being mercilessly crucified, dishonored, treated like a criminal how we honor you for what you have done. We thank you that you have been raised so your name is now more honorable than any other name. As we receive you, that name draws on us. How thankful we are for the honor you've given. Now, Father, would we give ourselves to be the children you're proud of that will build the family name, that will make the name of Jesus honorable Our desire is to bring honor to you. Father, we reject the systems of the world with its false honor, contemporary honor, manipulative honor, deceitful honor. We reject it as Jesus did. Lord, we repent of each time and every way that we've sought 
to be recognized because we want the people to honor us instead of resting in the honor you give. Lord, we commit to serve you, to build intimacy, listening to your voice, reading your word, letting you talk to us about how to live our life in a way to honor you. Lord, we commit to sharing your life with others. Lord, we commit to building your family. Forgive us for criticizing, comparing, competing, showmanship. Help us to see the value in the people of God and call on them. Father, we commit to serving the poor, to helping people who have no one to help. Father, we commit to growing, to become men and women of honor. Father, we commit to bring fruit for you. Lord, we just give you all the honor and praise. Now, I don't want to have an altar, but what I'd like you to do is just consider this. You are sitting next to a person of honor. person that's of great value to God, who has unique contribution to this church, to this city, this area, a unique calling, I would love you to offer to pray for them right now and to bless them. Thank God for them. Pray strength. Pray wisdom. If you can move prophetically, bring an encouragement to them. Even if it's your spouse, a member of your family, it doesn't really matter. Everyone needs to be Thank you.